Well, good morning. Okay, I feel like I have to explain myself there with, with the loop. So uh, my, name, my name's Tyler, in case you didn't catch that two minutes ago. Uh, so when we film the loop, we film them, like a couple of them at a time. And so as the longer it takes to film them, the sarcasm and the filters kind of start to come off depending on who I'm recording with. And Lexi Began, who films them, she just hits record and then lets the camera roll. And so I find myself walking out of these sessions questioning what I said over the last hour and how it's going to be used against me. And uh, I feel like I have that question a lot of time in my life. What did I just say in that context and how is that going to be used against me uh, later this week? Maybe you can relate to that. I don't know, but uh, maybe that's just me. But uh, I'm so excited to be here this morning. Um, for those of you who maybe are visiting for the first time or relatively new to the family, I've been gone for the last couple of months on uh, sabbatical, and so I am back, and I'm excited to be uh, with my faith family. And so, oh, wow, nine o'clock did not do that. Thank you. <laughs> For those that are watching at home, that was the biggest standing ovation I've ever received in my life. Uh, no, um, but it was great. It was time away with uh, extended time with family. Uh, I took a, a class at Multnomah, audited a class where I graduated from, and it was just fun just to get away and relax. My wife Kate and I got away uh, for a week towards the end, and the most, you know, relaxing and peaceful thing that we could have done, we did, and that was start a remodel halfway through our uh, sabbatical. So it was great. I was really excited to come back. And so uh, between uh, your wife being the designer and your contractor being your dad, uh, it, was, it was just, I was right there in the middle. And so it was great and uh, loved, loved uh, my time away. Um, but I've, I've grown up at Rolling Hills, and so I've only known Rolling Hills as my faith family. You guys literally are my circus, my monkeys. And so as our series has been, and so part of my sabbatical was I wanted to go visit other circuses and see their monkeys. And so uh, I got to go and visit other churches in our area um, that I have friends who serve on staff there. And uh, it was just so neat to see what uh, is happening in the body of Christ across our entire city right now when there's just so much up and down and conflict and turmoil. I got to go and visit uh, our, our friends at Willamette and West Lynn, Grace Chapel and Wilsonville, uh, Jesus Church over in Westside, where their new lead pastor was my former, uh, one of my high school pastors here at Rolling Hills. And so it was just cool to see how the worlds collide and the body of Christ is continuing to grow and do things. Uh, and yet faith families are very unique to their culture. And so it was so neat to sit there and sit under their leadership and their teaching for a, a Sunday. But it also made me really appreciate and love uh, what we have going on here uh, at Rolling Hills, something truly uh, special that makes this home away from home for me. And so being able to come up here and wrap up our series called My Series, My Series, uh, My Circus, My Monkeys, uh, it, I'm excited to do that because over this last two and a half months, sitting in and hearing and, and, and listening to Pastor Bill and Pastor Aaron and all of our other uh, teaching team members share on this topic, there is just a lot of stuff that the church is going after. And for whatever reason, God in his divinity and his divine goodness and part of his plan from the get-go is to use the local church to teach and advance the kingdom of God. Broken people leading broken people, but empowered by a perfect Holy Spirit. And so we've been looking at different um, 
different topics, spiritual disciplines, things like uh, what does it mean to be a, a minister, being someone who goes out and actually shares their faith? What does it mean to be held accountable in the context of church membership of a church family? What does it mean to carry out a mission that I was specifically created for? And so we've been looking at different letters that Paul wrote to the early churches uh, in the surrounding areas. And so as I was sitting there, the, the thing that kept coming back to me, and maybe some of you guys can remember this, uh, Super Bowl 2000, you know, back when the commercials were good, uh, there was the infamous cat herders. Do you guys remember that commercial with the, uh, it opens up, and I was thinking about showing it, but I, I, I didn't, so go home and YouTube cat herders. Uh, but, you know, the scene opens up, and it's the cowboys on the open plains, and you think that they're just going to be breaking these wild stallions in or, or herding cattle. And instead, it's just hundreds and thousands of cats coming over the, the hillsides. They're trying to get them out of trees. They're interviewing each other. Faces are just shredded and torn up because they got scratched. And, and I'm sitting there, and here's Paul, and there's been no other Paul before Paul that he can look to for wisdom and guidance as far as how do I lead the early church. And so he is writing these letters to people, imploring them that this is the standard that God has called us to. Some of these churches he planted, some of these churches he raised up the leadership to these churches, and some of them he's never been to before, but he's heard either about the conflict they're having or some of just the immense uh, blessings and ministry that are taking place. And so he's writing to encourage them to keep the faith, keep going after that. And so today we are going to wrap up this series talking about the topic of a radical grace-filled generosity. And so I know when I mention generosity in a church, uh, that can trigger a lot of negative connotations. And so rest assured, the baskets have been passed. This is not a, a, a sermon on tithing. This is not a sermon uh, about obligation, manipulation, or guilt but as we look at the early church, what are some key principles that we uh, can extrapolate from that and apply to our lives when it comes to our giftings, our skill sets, our times, and yes, even our monetary belongings? And so as we, we go back to Acts chapter 2, uh, just a brief context as we look at this particular passage. This is taking place uh, at Pentecost, which takes place 50 days after Passover. And so Jews from all over the nations are traveling to Jerusalem to celebrate this holiday, this festival that is drawn out. So they've been there, uh, like I said, for 50 days because it takes place on the seventh Sabbath after Passover. And so Pentecost literally uh, means uh, 50. And so they're sitting there and they're getting ready to celebrate. But what is different about what we're about to see because we're going to see time and time again throughout uh, the, the passages this morning, is the Holy Spirit intertwined with these actions of generosity, something miraculous happens. And Luke talks about this a lot, both in the Gospel of Luke, but also in the book of Acts, that whenever the Holy Spirit shows up to do something, it's always correlated with the advancement of the kingdom of God. And so whenever the Holy Spirit shows up and does something miraculous, the gospel is proclaimed and shared and people come to know Jesus. And so as we get to see how this plays out, uh, Paul, again, even though he's not on the scene yet, as he's dealing, though, with the, and leading the early church that we're going to read about here at this point in the story, there's just so many things for the, and opportunities for this to go sideways. And so how do you set rails to one's faith? And how do you do this and cause leadership and really cast vision for the future of Jesus, the Messiah, coming to save 
and redeem and reconcile his people. And so I saw, I saw this quote from Dallas uh, Willard while I was on sabbatical, uh, and it just stuck with me. It says, for many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, but it's that we'll become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we settle for a mediocre version of it. So I want to leave that up there just for a second. So, you know, for so many people, worst case scenario, it's not that we walk away from our faith and say, I no longer believe in this, but as tragic and a travesty as that is, what is more tragic is this quote is saying that, that we just get so inundated with the distractions of this world that we just settle for something that is just subpar, mediocre, and the faith. And Jesus is very particular about this very thing. In fact, Jesus, I mean, he uses strong language. And he says, I would rather you not believe than be lukewarm. Because a lukewarm follower of Jesus is just... Uh, as dangerous and it's just as uh, dysfunctional as someone who doesn't believe in the way of Jesus. He says, I, I, I spit out the lukewarm. So I want people who are all in. And so Paul is trying to figure out in the early church as things are just growing and we're gonna see literally exploding. People are coming to know Jesus by the thousands. They're being baptized by the thousands. And they're sitting here like, hey, what do we do with this? How do we take care of our people and that's where we start to get some glimpses of generosity in the early days. The festival of Pentecost originally meant the festival of first fruits, which is we're going to see play out to be very timely in this way. Because see, the first fruits, they would bring their grains, their harvest, their fruits, and all this to the tabernacle, to the temple. And this would be their offering. And they would give everything, the best of the best. And a lot of times they gave before they even had their full harvest. Because one, they knew that their worship glorified God. And second of all, this act of generosity was an act of faith knowing that God was going to continue to provide for them in the coming year, in the season of that harvest. And so as we see here the early church, as it explodes, it is also the first fruit of the early church. And so as we, we read the scripture this morning, will you stand with me for the reading of this passage and then remain standing as we open in prayer? But Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Heavenly Father, this morning we, we gather as, as your church, as followers of you or people here that are seeking answers. And we, we look to, to the early followers of the way people's lives who radically were changed and filled with an immense amount of passion and zeal for you and for the calling on their lives. Holy Spirit, I, I invite you into this place and may our spirits be rekindled in such a way that what we read about, that what transpired some 2,000 years ago, that we, we would resonate with that, that there would be a thirst, that there would be a hunger for this radical way of living. And that we wouldn't just walk out of here with that was good content, that was good information, 
but we give you permission to convict us. We give you permission to challenge us. We give you permission uh, to take steps of faith, and may we be obedient to that, we pray in your name. Amen. You can be seated. So before this passage, uh, at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the 120 that were the believers. And what's really interesting about this passage, and we're not going to spend too much time on it, but it was just really interesting in my, uh, the class that I was auditing, we spent a week talking about pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. They were talking about specifically at Pentecost, you know, when the Holy Spirit came upon the people and they started speaking in native tongue, languages uh, from countries that, that they did not reside from, this was just a miracle that left people in awe and wonder. And they were making the, the connection uh, back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis when the people were constructing this temple to the heavens. And when they were trying to do this, they weren't doing it for the glory and honor of God, but they were doing it to see how great they were. And so God intervened and the languages were changed. There was confusion and then they scatter. And, uh, and now here we are in the New Testament post-resurrection, Holy Spirit coming upon the people. And what do we see? We see the symbolism of the great unifier of unity, that this, this, this spirit is for everybody of all nations, of all walks of people. And so as the, they're sitting here and they're thinking, as I said, that the, the, they're like, well, what, what do we do now? Because the question is, I was thinking about radical generosity, grace-filled generosity, is that you can be a generous person and not follow Jesus. There are a lot of generous people out there in this world who do not follow Jesus. So what separates radical, grace-filled generosity from people who are generous and don't follow Jesus? And I don't want to oversimplify that, but I think what comes back to is the fact that it's the Holy Spirit and the acts of our, of our love and our truth and our deeds that when we move in a way that is supernatural, the prompting on our lives of the Holy Spirit, that there are things at play that are unseen to the human eye. And that when we do things that, 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 that maybe don't make sense to the common person of why we want to give of our time, of our finances, of our resources, of our abilities, they see something different. And that raises questions. Because anyone can write a check. Anyone can serve. But when they see that we're doing it for the glory of God, it stands out. And we see that at the end of the passage that the people were seeing this. And so what was happening? The Lord was adding to their numbers daily. Some 3,000 people came to the Lord and 3,000 people were baptized. This room holds 2,500 people. So more than this in a day heard the news of Jesus. They witnessed radical ways of living and generosity. And they were like, I want that in my life. And they, stayed, they made that step from death to life and became followers of Jesus, proclaiming that he was the Messiah. Now, many of these people who were doing it were Jews. And the Jews have been there already for some 50 days because they were there for the Passover festival, getting ready to come back to their lands, go back where they came from after, um, after Pentecost. But then what happened was, is they were like, oh my goodness, we can't leave now. I am, I'm questioning everything I've ever known, like this, this promised Messiah, he came, it's Jesus, he's here. Okay, I need to stay and soak up all of this information from the teaching of the apostles so that I can go back and I can teach this to my context and my culture, my neighbors, my family, my loved ones. And so now all of a sudden, they're, they're, they're staying longer, which means they need lodging, they need food. There's practical needs at play here. 
A lot of them got disowned by their families or people within the Jewish uh, synagogues and temples that was a, a life source for them for some of their basic needs and food. And so all of a sudden, the church needed to come together to take care of its own. This isn't a passage that says we need to sell everything and go buy a plot of land and live together and have a giant Christian compound. That's not what this is saying. But what it is saying is that we need to be mindful of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that with this inward focus and listening, we can have an external impact in the world around us that God has called us to. So the church is the fellowship of those given by Christ to be each other, what he's been to them, so that we can go out and replicate that in the world around us. Hence, our mission to reach the world one person at a time as we learn to think, love, and live like Jesus and reproduce that in the lives of others. And we're going to see time and time again that this is birthed out of community. Community is where um, we, we see lives intertwine. We see... Um, People not only being known, but knowing others. We see transparency. We see uh, community as the way God created us to be intertwined in each other's lives, to know our shortcomings, to know our successes, to celebrate our mountain peaks and to hold us up in our valley moments. This here on Sunday morning, coming to church on Sunday morning, this, this isn't community. This is being in proximity with other believers of Jesus for a set period of time. But this, don't, don't confuse this with community. Community is what happens outside of the gathering. Community is when the people we surround ourselves with that are pointing us to Jesus, and we're pointing them to Jesus. And they're encouraging us. They're praying for us. These are the people that we go to. And there's a good chance that a lot of those people might be in this room too. So don't, don't write off your community if they're here today. Sorry, he said that you're just proximity. I can't, that's not what I'm saying either. But all the times people come to church and they think, yeah, 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 no, I have, I have community. But they aren't known and nobody knows them. Wait, they aren't known and they don't know anyone else. Sorry, I said the same thing twice. Um, and so it's, it's important that as followers of Jesus that we surround ourselves in a Christ-centered community in that way. When we go back and we look at this, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, uh, to the fellowship, the sharing of meals, communion, uh, and to prayer. Those are all the elements. Those are the pillars that, that we, we, we try to replicate in our church gatherings. And a lot of our community groups do these things as well too because it helps solidify the things that we hear on Sundays. It helps solidify the things we're learning in our own time with the Lord in times of prayer and scripture reading. John Wesley once said that there is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. So it doesn't matter if you're an introvert, extrovert, being known. And that's what's so great about the Holy Spirit because relationships apart from Christ, we tend to like find people based off of common interests, you know, uh, our vocation, what sport teams we like or passions or subjects at school, uh, relationships. And uh, the problem with those things is that they're fleeting. Those things have seasons and they come, but the Holy Spirit, the great unifier, means that we can engage in life-giving relationships with people who are completely different than us, completely different walks of life from us, and we get to see the beauty and the diversity of the body of Christ. Continues on in verse 43, a deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Um, 
The word awe that's being used comes from the Greek word phobos, which literally means fear, but not fear in the sense of like I'm scared, like, like horror or anything like that, but uh, fear in the sense of, of an reverence, awe, like that my, my humanity cannot contextualize what I am witnessing here. And so we see this like in the presence of the Lord, there is this awe, bewilderment, and wonder. And so as they're seeing these miracles play out in front of them, it is solidifying the divine message that they are hearing, and it gives truth to what's being heard. And so they are running towards this, hungry for more. Okay, so now we get to this part of generosity where it says the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone that might have had need. And so I talked about this already a little bit, but this, this idea these people were in so much need because they were staying longer than they originally anticipated for. And so uh, their basic needs needed to be taken care of. And so people saw a need and they went to any extent to make sure that it was met. And for some people, it was uh, reaching it into their own pockets. For some people, it was opening up their homes. Uh, for some people, it actually meant selling off possessions so that the, the betterment of the church uh, could continue to grow. They were saying, God, more of you, less of me, whatever is needed to accomplish this mission, we are in for this. This is what we are about. Uh, John 13, 34, Jesus said this, uh, says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. We hear that a lot of times in passages, right? The golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second, it's just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. That second part, though, it says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what I want to point out there when it says all people, it doesn't say, by this, all believers. It doesn't say all Christ-loving followers will get this. It says all people. That means people outside of the church, people outside of the faith. They're going to see something happening that is so radically different that when the Holy Spirit is matched and intertwined with acts of radical generosity, people notice that this is different. It doesn't make sense. And they're left in awe and bewilderment and they want to know what is this truth that you are following in your life that would cause you to live lives so radically different. So this kind of sharing is just a natural result when we have this kind of communion. Francis uh, Schaeffer said this. This was a quote I saw, too, over the last couple of weeks that I thought was beautiful. Our relationship with each other is the criterion or the standard the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. <clears throat> Excuse me. But isn't that true? Christian community is the final apologetic. After the nine o'clock, uh, Pastor Jason reminded me that he shared this quote a couple months back when he taught, and so maybe this sounds familiar too, is, you know, a lot of times when we go and we interact with people outside of the walls of the church, <coughs> when they're turned off to what we're talking about, it has nothing to do, more times than not, with the message of Jesus, the message of hope, their turnoff to God it has to do with what they've witnessed by other Christians, whether it was in the media or firsthand relationships that they've seen with people. How we treat each other matters. And that's with our language, with our actions, and with our generosity. 
They see how we treat ourselves and they are watching with how we treat those who are outside of the church. And to know that that is the final apologetic in this particular quote context, that is powerful and that is convicting. At least for me, it is. Uh, in the voice translation, not the TV show, uh, it says this, they sold any possessions and goods that did not benefit the community and used that money to help everyone in need. And I love that too because they're not saying that possessions are bad. They're not saying that wealth and accumulation and things like this is a sinful thing in and of itself. But what it's saying is if these things are combating for the worship of God, they're idols. So sell off the distractions. It's like that, that, that Willard quote that I shared earlier. If we have these distractions that we're going after and those things are much more alluring than the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, then we are settling for a subpar faith. And so if there are things, then we need to cast off those hindrances in our life. And then maybe we can leverage those resources to people who are in need. And so that, that is what, what, what stood out to me here in this too, because as we look at this here, the way they were doing this too, this was also a common practice, even back in the Old Testament with uh, Israel, the, the law of Moses, the, the covenant community back then, Deuteronomy 15 talked about specifically, they were told there were to be no persons of need. It's to take care of your neighbor, to take care of yourselves, take care of the strangers. And what's important to notice too is that the donations, these gifts that were given voluntarily, they were not given out of obligation. They were not given out of manipulation. They weren't given because one felt guilty over another thing. And I feel like so many times in church today when we talk about generosity or giving, whether we're talking about our finances or even just serving and giving of our time or, or using uh, maybe skill sets we have to come in and do something on a work day, it's like, oh, all the church is doing is asking for money or things like that. And we see this as this, this hindrance. And as we're gonna see later in a passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul calls it a privilege that we get to step into to share and to serve. And so this isn't something that, oh, if I follow Jesus, I guess I have to do this or I'm supposed to do it. But at the end of 46 to 47, it says they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They would break bread in people's homes, eat together with sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to the number daily of those who were being saved. There was this immense amount of unspeakable joy that was happening because they were not being held back by the things that they thought were important. What was important is that they were loving each other and that they were reminding people about the goodness of who Jesus was, that come and literally taste and see that he is good. And I think so often we think being generous is just a three-minute thing that happens on a Sunday or being generous is you know, going to Fred Myers and rounding up to the nearest dollar on my, on my tab, and that was my, my good deed for the day. You know, I'm, I'm super generous. You have my 13 cents. I, I can mock that because I, I can fall into that too. So that's not coming from a place of judgment. That is the place of my own conviction too. Uh, and so we see this though, going back there though, the watching community was favorably impressed and the watching community was coming to faith. They were seeing the miraculous and they were like, I want to be a part of that. They weren't even recipients of it necessarily, but they were like, that is so different that I want to be a part of that. 
I want to be able to be in a place where I can give like that. I want to be in a place where I can receive God's blessing in my life, that he can restore what is broken, that he can forgive me of the sins and the guilt and wash me clean, things that I've been trying to do in my own power, in my own strength for so long. I can now turn that over to the Lord. If we skip ahead a couple chapters into Acts 4, we see another example of the church here and their generosity. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things they belonged to him was of their own, but they had everything in common, and they had great power. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And then it continues on. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as the need was seen. So the outside world, again, they were seeing this generosity, their care for the needy, the least of these. And so it was just so widespread. They were like, we want to be a part of this movement. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church in Macedonia. This church went through uh, immense persecution, immense hardships, immense trials where they had to rally the troops together uh, just to get through it. And here's what we see in 2 Corinthians 8, 2 through 5. We'll have this up on the screen as well. It says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. Voluntary, right? They weren't told to. They wasn't expected of them. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege they were begging, can we please be generous? How counterintuitive is that? They were pleading for the privilege of sharing and experiencing and entering into the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded the expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Again, this is something that they, there, was, there was anticipation for the excitement, the hope of the opportunity. Not the, okay, how much? What's the bottom line? Because right, some of us, we sit down, and by some of us, I'm including myself again, we'll sit here and we'll look at maybe our budget. And we're like, okay, here's what we are going to be generous with this month. Maybe it's an amount, maybe it's a percent. And that's what we do each month. And the rest, we, we have our other things that we do, right? But then all of a sudden, we see another cool thing that's like, oh man, that really, that, that pulls in my heart. I feel like I can get behind that. I want, I want to be a part of that. I want to be generous in that. So what do we do? It's like, well, if I take part of this and put it over here, then I can do it, but it's at the expense of this over here. God's not calling for that. God's not calling for legalism. God's not calling for fundamentalism. He is calling for generosity, and that knows no bounds. Let God be the one that tells you when and when not to, and don't let your own expectations uh, heed maybe what God wants you to experience to the fullest. Now, that being said, there comes wisdom and discernment with that. Don't be foolish. God wants, there's also wants us to take care of ourselves. They weren't selling literally everything because they needed to live. They needed to feed their families. They needed to do these things too, right? So it wasn't that extreme, but at the same time, 
They were open and excited about the privilege of generosity. Here's a couple other passages that if you want to write down or take out your phone and snap at the screen, I'm not going to read all of them, but Romans 12, 9 through 13, talking about our spiritual acts of worship. What does that mean to have our minds and our hearts renewed? And they talk about contributing to the needs of the followers of Jesus, practicing hospitality. Again, this isn't necessarily a financial thing, but hospitality has all sorts of things that you can do to be generous and not just think about yourself. 1 John 3, 17 to 18, love not just in words. They're putting their money where their mouth was, literally. They're loving in deed and in truth. And then in Acts 20, 35, talks about taking care of the weak, the needy, the least of these. Things that Jesus was extremely passionate and outspoken about. So as I was, I was, I was reading, I, I, I saw this broken down a couple ways in a couple different um, uh, resources. And so like, oh man, I, want, I wanted to share this, these, these ways it got broken down. Here's, here's how grace-filled giving can be played out. It's sacrificial. It comes at a sacrifice. When God sent his son down for us to redeem and restore a broken life and a relationship between his creation and him, it wasn't something that God did lightheartedly. It wasn't like, here, have my son. Was a sacrifice. He gave up his only son so that those who believe in him would not perish in eternal damnation but have eternal life in the presence of their loving and heavenly father. Radical grace-filled giving has sacrifice. That being said, it's this idea of he must increase and I must decrease. But doing it with wisdom and discernment. I mentioned it in the nine o'clock. It's very dangerous to be in my car in the drive-thru when my oldest daughter, Nora, is in the car because every time we're in the drive-thru, Dad, we got to pay for everybody in the drive-thru. And I'm like, well, why? Well, it's the kind thing to do. And I'm like, I agree. Who's going to pay for it? He's like, well, you are. And I was like, well, okay. And then all of a sudden it's like this well, maybe next time we can do that, sweetheart. You know, because just my luck, I'm going to have the soccer mom who took the 30 drink order and all of a sudden I'm going to have to be smiling and Nora's like, we were so generous, dad. I'm like, yes, we were. It was a sacrifice. Now, this doesn't mean I want you to tail me out of the church parking lot today and see if I go through a drive-through. But there is wisdom. There is discernment in how we do that. But at the same time, don't make excuses. Don't, when you feel that nudging of the Holy Spirit in your life to step out and do something that you otherwise normally wouldn't do it, don't make excuses. Be obedient. Grace-filled is selfless. It's uh, giving up of your own expectations, your own uh, sometimes dreams and hopes for the betterment of the body of Christ. Uh, It's also spiritual. And if you were to look at these sacrificial Well, it's also the privilege that we get to do it. Selfless, it's sharing. Spiritual, it's this experience where we align the desires of God with the desires of our hearts, that we are that oneness, that commonality, that we are united in one, that we get to, and and it glorifies the Lord. And so the thing that God convicted me of this week was this question, and it's what I want to ask us today, and I'm still wrestling with it. And it's this, is your level of generosity the bare minimum or is it the best of your ability? I want, I want us to think about that for a sec. Is it the bare minimum, 
Or is it the best of what we can give God? Are we missing out on opportunities because we say, well, someone else will come along and do it. And this could be something about financial things that we can be a blessing to people who don't have those resources. Maybe it's just serving. There are things that we need to do. And there's a need. Maybe it's, it's in our community. It's in our schools. It's here in our church. Where, where are needs that we can step in and actually be a participant of the mission? Maybe, maybe God has given you the ability to do unique skill sets and talents that no one else in your circle of influence has, and there's a need that comes up, and you're the only one that can step in and help in their time of need. And you're like, oh, the timing is not good. This is not convenient. But sometimes the most inconvenient times are the most convenient times to share the gospel through our actions and through our deeds. Christians do not need to live under the weight of obligation but it's because we get to glorify and worship God and people get to see Jesus alive and in action. I wanna, I wanna end this morning with, with another story. Don't worry, Nora, it's not about you. It's about my son, Max. Max is five. He's in kindergarten this year. Uh, where, where are all my Tiger Tualatin students? You guys over there? I see you. Okay, so he's at Tualatin Elementary. And so the mantra, not just for Tiger Twelton Elementary, but for all the schools is what? Be safe, be kind, and be responsible, right? And so he is learning this. There's a song. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, but he came home, and he's like, Dad, I was a pack leader today because I earned enough of the, 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 the paper paw prints because they're the black bears um, that because I was safe, kind, and responsible, I got to pick out of the chest and get like a rubber eraser or whatever. So I'm like, oh, that's awesome, Max. Like, what, what did you do that was so safe, kind, and responsible? It's like, oh, I shared a piece of paper with my neighbor or classmate or uh, I let someone go before me uh, on the way out to recess. I'm like, oh, that's amazing, Max. Way to go. Not even five seconds later, he runs down the hallway and then proceeds to start like hitting and kicking his older sister and screaming, Max, daddy. And so I run down there and I'm like, Max, what are you doing? And he's like, mm-hmm. I was like, buddy, I need you to be safe, kind, and responsible at home. And his response was, oh, dad, I already did that today. <laughs> I'm like, buddy, I need you to be safe, kind, and responsible all the time. He's like, what? Not so unreasonable. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, but come on. And I sit there and I'm thinking about, we do the same thing, don't we? We will be generous one time. Usually it's around Christmas or some other thing or a thing, and we're good for the year. And it's like, what, God? You want me to do it again? I did it already. You know, it's like God's like, no, I want you to be safe, kind, responsible, and generous all the time. We need to recalibrate our DNA in the rhythms of our life. And sometimes that selfishness can just well up like that five-year-old in us, right? It's like, but I already did it. How dare you? And God's like, how dare, how dare I? You know, no, I've, no, it's okay, ask, ask for more. I, I only sent my son down to die for you. And then you're like, oh, perspective. Perspective. Am I doing the bare minimum or am I giving God my best worship? And so what are we gonna do this week to reflect that? 
It's gonna look different for me than it does for you. It's gonna look different for me than it does my own family, my, my own wife. Because we are all uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully made and we are gifted in very different ways and given different opportunities. So what are ways that you can be generous this week? Your time, your treasure, your talents. And for some of you, maybe you're, 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 you're doing it and that's awesome, you're in that sweet spot and you feel like you, you and God are one. Protect that, rekindle that, keep that, that flame burning at all costs. And maybe for some of us, we're like, I want that, but how do I do that? Two great examples. These are not the only ways to do it. But if you're looking for a way to, to invest internally so that you can have a, an impact externally, is that we have Christmas blessing here at the church where we get to bless people this Christmas season. Again, these are not one and dones. These are just examples of ways that we have continual generosity where we can step in and bless a family or a family member in our own faith family or Bridgeport Elementary. 350 families, there's a lot of people out there that we can bring the hope and love and show the love of Jesus in a practical way. You can go to rollinghills.org slash Christmas. Oh no, sorry, rollinghills.org slash blessing uh, to learn more about that. There's opportunities to serve here. We heard that in the loop too. There's a sneak peek volunteer tour coming up in two weeks. You can go out to the next steps counter after the gathering and sign up for that and figure out, you know what? I've, I've been here. I've been in proximity with a lot of people for a long time. I'm ready to find community with people that I can serve with. It's a great opportunity. It's an easy next step. And maybe you're here this morning too and you're like, I want that fervor. I want that excitement, but I've never received the Holy Spirit. How do I, how do, I do that? So I wanna, I wanna close our time with just a prayer of, of invitation. And if you wanna pray that prayer of invitation, you can do that with me here in person, if you're at home online or watching this later uh, during the week. And it's just a prayer acknowledging that, that God is more than just your savior, that he's our Lord and he is worthy of everything. That he has forgiven us, that we have to stop trying to uh, forgive ourselves and trying to make our own amends, that what happened on the cross covered all of our wrongdoings, past, present, and future. And we get to receive the ultimate gift that was a privilege for God that came at such a sacrifice that he was able to share, in some ways humble himself to a servant, to serve us by offering that gift of the cross. And so let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your generosity in our life. You gave before we even asked for it. Scripture says that, that while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus down to die for us. May we mirror that generosity. We, we hunger for that, but we, we know we can only do that if we receive your spirit. So this morning, I proclaim that Jesus is Lord of my life. And I ask for you to come in and that I would experience forgiveness and wholeness in a way that I've never imagined. And from this day forward, may you change my perspective and how I leverage generosity in my life. May this, this excitement and maybe this fear that we have about this idea May we respond in obedience and in faith and in trust that God, 
that you aren't gonna do this so that we become better people, that people think better of us, but that we would step out in faith so that you would receive the glory and with the expectation that people would come to see and know you. And as you did some 2,000 years ago across the greater city of Jerusalem, that thousands of people would be added to your church across our state, across our cities, across the world. We know that you are alive and you are active. So Holy Spirit, move. Move outside of these walls. Move inside of these walls. But it starts with us stepping into the privilege of generosity. Convict us, move us, and may we be obedient because of that. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.